0: Thank you, Elijah. So we're looking at um, Isaiah chapter 2. And as Elijah was sharing, he's talking about these people that um, they have a lot. They have wealth, um, gold and silver, They have weapons. Um, All the horses and chariots that he's talking about would be like uh, rockets and jets and and tanks today. So they were strong militarily, strong economically, and very proud of themselves. And it's the kind of thing that uh, most of the time, the things that um, affect us and the things that uh, uh, even the advertising agencies appeal to is all about self. And in relationships with other people and other things, uh, this is the thing that we stumble over most of the time. It's I, me, mine. I get my feelings hurt. Um, not caring about what it's doing to the other person's feelings. Um, I want what I want. And we'll be talking about this a little later. We begin to make idols of people or self or things. and. There's an arrogance that's, that um, tends to help us to think of ourselves as being self-sufficient, or an end or a law unto ourself. We're heading toward that in our own country here, to where um, it's almost getting down to the point where every man does that which is right in his own eyes, which means that then I become the one who is the, the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. Now that's a problem because I normally determine what's right and wrong on how it affects me personally so the problem comes in with um, when what is good for me is not good for her or when what's good for her is not good for me so then whose standard do we use? Uh, well she's prettier than I am so that's not saying a whole lot (laughs) Uh, but she, um, so, we, so we could do it that way. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the beautiful people or the wealthy people or the powerful people or the influential people or the popular people. Who's, who is going to determine what's good and what's evil? So what Isaiah says is this is what the problem is. Is that people are filled with superstitious practices from the east. Um... They're looking to what they themselves have made, to their wealth, through their power. And God says, man will be brought low and mankind humbled. Because the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now we say things like that. And it says, the arrogance of man, in verse 17 will be brought low the pride of man humbled the Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear we, we understand that and we talk about it all the time it's the equivalent of saying that Jesus is Lord and yet we live as if he's not we live as if I'm the Lord I, I live as if I'm the Lord you live as if you're the Lord You know, it's my life I can do with it what I want I control my own future, my own destiny. It's my choice. You don't have the right to tell me what to do. Well, but God does. And we're going to talk about this a little later. How none of us live to himself or herself alone and none of us die to himself or herself alone. Paul says in Romans 14, whether we live or die, we belong to God. He created us. Jesus died to redeem us. And we've been bought with a price. But we live as if It's all up to us. And we're not answerable to anybody. That's a lie. So, what idols do we have? And do we understand when we say that God alone will be exalted what that means for us? God alone is going to be exalted. So, because He's God, sooner or later, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. We can do it willingly and because it's a choice that we freely give out of gratitude and thanks for all he's done and all he's blessed us with or we can do it out of compulsion when God comes back and we give an account to him of our life choices we've made the gifts that God has entrusted us like Elijah was talking about how did you use those things those gifts they're not earned and they're not deserved it's a gift if it's earned or if we deserve it then it's not a gift It's an obligation. But these are gifts. We're born with those things. God gives us those abilities before we ever made any choice at all. It's a free gift from God. And as a free gift, we can use them however we want and for whatever purpose. But there is a responsibility that goes with the gift and an accountability for how we use the gifts entrusted to us. So God alone will be exalted, not the idols and certainly not self. So what happens is that we want the best of both worlds. Um, I want to serve God enough to know that uh, I'm not going to be in trouble. But I don't want to serve him enough to where I don't do what I want to do. So we try to compromise Whenever we compromise, nobody's ever happy. That's what uh, John in the book of Revelation talks about being lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're just just lukewarm. And because it's lukewarm, you get spit out. So we don't want to be lukewarm. But they did this as a nation in um, 2 Kings chapter 17... It's talking about the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes in the north. And they deliberately took a willful choice um, when the kingdom split to serve idols, beginning with the king. He set them up, and they never recovered in their whole history. And so God sent prophets to call them back. Um, they, In the northern kingdom, they never responded positively for any length of time, and so God's patience finally comes to an end, and He says, "Okay, enough," and He's going to send His people into exile into a pagan, foreign land. And so, in Second Kings chapter 17, I'll read just a couple of summary verses. They worship the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands that the Lord God gave them. Verse 41 Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving to the, their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. And so, from the writer of Second Kings perspective, that's why they're in captivity. And when he wrote this, they were still in captivity. And he says that is the reason. To this day, they're serving God, but they're also serving idols. Um, so they're wanting the, the best of both worlds here. Um, putting up the outward show, going through the motions, the rituals, the observances, doing all the outward things that you're supposed to do to appease God, but living like they wanted. And living as if there's no responsibility and no accountability and no God who has given them a standard to live by. So, but God alone, Isaiah says, is going to be exalted in that day. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he gives them a warning about this. This is just before they entered into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 19 and 20, he tells them, If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today, God says. God's going to testify against us today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And so he told them what was going to happen. He said you're to be a separate people. Your standards are going to be different than theirs. You're going to be the people who will bear witness to who God truly is. That you're gifting, that you're calling, that's the reason you're here. And if you deny that, if you reject that, then you fall under the same condemnation as unbelievers. You'll be judged in the same way. If we want to live like an unbeliever, okay, you'll be judged like an unbeliever. So the call is, do we exalt God alone? So what about these idols? Well, the thing about idols are that we tend to give to an idol... The things that belong to God. Idols are things that we love, things that we cherish, things that we value more than our relationship to God. Whether it's a person, whether it's an, uh, an object, whether it's uh, uh, a cause or an ideal, anything that comes between us and God is an idol. And so we fear those idols We're afraid to do without them. Even if it's an idol of what I think other people think about me. That's an idol. And I fear that it's not going to be the way I want it to be. I fear to lose that. We love that idol. That's why we invest ourselves in it. And we trust that idol. That's what idols do. But the problem with idols is that idols demand sacrifice. So what are you willing to give up to keep your idol? Uh, Will you destroy your relationships with people to keep your idol? Uh, You love them, you fear them, you worship them, you trust them. They're demanding a sacrifice. Will we give up our relationships with other people because of our idols? Uh, So Psalm 106... Verses thirty-three, thirty-four through thirty-six. Tells us a little bit more about the history of Israel. And it says that they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They were in the world, and instead of being um, a witness to the world, they became like the world. ...what Paul talks about in Romans 12... ...as being conformed to the world. They let the world shape their values... ...and their morals... ...and the way that they live their life. They became conformed... ...to the nations around them... ...and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols... ...which became a snare to them. And then it goes on from there. They sacrificed their sons and daughters... ...to demons... And shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. What's happening in our world today? Uh, We do that. Our idols demand a blood sacrifice. So we give our children through abortion or we give our elderly through euthanasia. And so we are devaluing life at both ends of the spectrum. And when you devalue life, what means that your life is worth any more than one of theirs? So we, they served idols, and these idols became a snare. James 4 talks about temptations, and he talks about how it works. There's a bit of a progression there. And uh, so James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a good question. What is it that disrupts our peace and disrupts our relationships and interferes even in businesses and other things like that. What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." And he calls them an adulterous people because they're not serving God. They're serving God and idols. So it starts off with, I desire. I want. And after a while, the desire progresses into because you don't get what you want or when you want it, in the way that you want it. Then the desire becomes, I demand. Give it to me. Then, if it still doesn't happen, I judge. So, you're not doing right. Because you're not doing what I want. You're not being fair. And we throw that word out a lot, don't we? It's the difference between being fair and being just. So, and we always define fair on, again, how it relates to me. So, I desire, I demand, I judge... And if it still doesn't happen, I punish. Well, I'll just leave. I will make you feel guilty. I will manipulate and control you and punish you until you come around to my way of thinking. And if not, I'm out of here. You can be by yourself. Problem is, I end up by myself too. <laughs> but that's the way it works. These idols demanding the sacrifices uh, because they're claiming what rightfully belongs to God and God alone. They're claiming the right to be the Lord of your life and mine. So what do we do? Again, back to Isaiah chapter 45. And in Isaiah 45, nine times in this one chapter, nine times in Isaiah 45, It's going to talk about God alone. Um, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord, there is no other. And then later on in verse 14, this is what the Lord says. He talks about the products of Egypt and Cush, the Sabaeans. And He says, "...they will come and serve you, saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other." There is no other God. Verse 18, This is what the Lord says, "...He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty." but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 21. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago and declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Uh, You getting the picture, what he's saying to us? Verse 24. Um, Verse 23, says, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. So God is telling us, He's wanting to, He's repetitious here because we're hard of hearing and it's difficult for us to understand. God alone. This is the verses, by the way, that Paul uses when he's talking about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. And he talks about the humility of Jesus where he humbles himself even though He's God, and comes and dies on the cross. And he says, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place, and gave Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He alone is exalted in that day. In the, the letter, uh, general letter of 1 John, in it he talks about God being light. He talks more about God being love. He's the one who exposes um, us for who we are, tells us the truth about himself and about us. And in his love and mercy through Jesus Christ, he invites us in, back into a proper relationship with him. And he, he stresses this in our relationships with each other as an indication of what's going on in our relationship with Him. And the very last thing that He says, the very last statement in the letter, and he, He's never mentioned this the whole letter, but in the very last thing that He says, um, it kind of grabs your attention because it's a, it's a change in content, right? At the very end of this thing. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. He's talking about... Uh, Bringing to pulling together all the things he's talked about in the letter and then the very last thing he says is dear children, keep yourselves from idols. He hadn't mentioned idolatry in the whole letter. But if we're not loving and serving God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength if we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, John says if we're not walking as his children as Jesus walked then there are idols in our lives. And so he puts this in as a final concluding warning to us, his children. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christian people. He's writing to people who know who the Lord is. And yet he puts this thing in at the very end. Last thing I want you to remember, keep yourselves from idols as God's people, as God's children who know him, who love him, who are in relationship with him. Keep yourselves from idols. It doesn't happen Automatically. This is why we have to be diligent and we have to be aware of what's going on because the heart tends to wander. So, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's writing to the church at Corinth. It's just before he talks about um, if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. Because it's hard for us to let go of the idols in our life. It's hard for us to change those. And because these idols have been such... They're so entrenched in our hearts and lives, they become second nature to us. We need help. Uh, And so this is why Jesus died on the cross. To provide the cleansing and the strength and power which we lack uh, to be free from these things. So just before he talks about being a new creation... In chapter five, verse 14 of Second Corinthians, "Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, And he died for all those, for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. When we say like Isaiah, God alone is to be exalted, that means we're not living for ourselves anymore. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Since Christ died for us, he's purchased us to God uh, with his own blood. So we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. In Galatians 3, uh, 2.20, Paul puts it this way. He um, says, I have been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, crucified with Christ now I live but my life has a qualitative difference now now I'm living uh, for Christ and for him alone in Psalm 139 David is calling out to God to search him and to know him Um, and he starts off by saying first of all Lord you have searched me and you know me And he talks about how God knows him so well. He's known him um, before before he was conceived. God already knew him. He knew him when he was still in his mother's womb. He was there. He's known him from the very, very beginning of who we are. He knows us. He says he knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows our feelings. He says while we're thinking about a word to say in our mind, before it gets from the mind to the tongue, which is pretty quick, he says, God already knows it. He knows us well. And so he goes through this, and then at the very end, he started off, remember, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Then he invites God to help him understand himself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way, and the word means habitual sin, in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so he's asking God to do that work within him. He knows that God knows him better than he knows himself. And so he's saying, God, search me. Help me to understand my own heart. Because as Jeremiah has told us, heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And if we don't think that's true, we don't know ourselves. And so, Jeremiah asked the question, Who then can know the heart? And God answers it. And he says, I do. I know the heart, and I test you to show what's in your heart. And that's what David here in this psalm is asking God to do. Look within my heart. Help me. So, ...as God's children... ...to keep ourselves from idol... ...to keep him first in our heart... ...in our lives. Um, Jesus told us very, very plainly, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. So we can try to be like the Israelites of old... ...in the northern kingdom. They worship God... ...but they didn't get rid of their idols. They wanted to keep them too. They worship the Lord but they continued to do what they wanted to do, and they passed that on down to their children and their grandchildren to follow the habits and the things which the children did. There was a a statement a while back, years ago, talking about education, and they said that uh, whatever the parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. So we stop and think about it. Whatever the parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. And look at our society and our culture, see if that's not true. That's what he's telling us here in Isaiah. Keep ourselves from idols. Um, Search our hearts. Know us. So what do we do with idols? For idolatry is to confess our sin, our need, our idolatry, and trust God alone to supply our needs. Um, David knew about that as well. In Psalm 62, he's going to say this repeatedly Find rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation he is my fortress I will never be shaken my soul finds rest our security our hope our peace in God alone he understood that he understood it from personal experience Uh, people were trying to kill him his whole life they hunted him uh, for no reason they just saw him as a threat so he found that his rest and his peace his security in God alone He says it again in verse 5 because he's talking about how these people are attacking him. "'Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be be shaken. My salvation, my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge.'" And so it's an invitation that God is giving to us. Then we replace idol worship with a true worship of God. The things that belong to God that we've given to these things in our life or we've grasped for ourselves, we turn them back over to God to whom they rightfully belong. That was the first sin, wasn't it? Arrogance and pride of Adam and Eve in the garden. They made the same statement pretty much as uh, what Elijah read About Satan uh, up in heaven. We're gonna eat the fruit of this tree so that we can become like God. That's the first step. Second step is, I wanna eat the fruit of this tree so I can become God and take his place. That's the way idolatry works. So, God in His mercy calls us to lay those things down at the feet of the one to whom they rightfully belong. So, we'll end with uh, Romans 14. Because he's God and he knows us so well our lives whether we know it or not whether we acknowledge it or not our lives are in his hands and so he says in Romans 14:7 none of us lives to himself alone none of us dies to himself alone if we live we live to the lord and if we die we die to the lord So whether we live or die, and there's not a whole lot in the middle, is there? Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to Him. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat because it is written as surely as I live says the Lord and he's quoting Isaiah here. Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God so then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. God alone will be exalted and we have the opportunity of participating in that and when we do When we give him what is rightfully his and we give up our grasping, clutching, uh, hoarding of what doesn't belong to us anyway, when we release that to him, there's an incredible freedom that is ours. And it takes the pressure off and we can rest, as David says, my soul, find rest alone in God, only in him. And uh, the world promises a lot of stuff and it never comes through. But when we come to God, Jesus gave the invitation. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, come to me and rest. Take my yoke upon me. Acknowledge him as our Lord. And learn of me because I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest unto your soul. So that's a promise that he makes to us. Um, In God alone is our hope and our salvation. Let's pray. So, Lord, we come to you. There is no one else. All the idols, all the things that we've created ourselves or that push themselves on us as being worthy of praise and fear and worship, worthy of sacrifice. We find out that they're all frauds. They're all fakes. They promise everything and deliver nothing except death and sorrow and guilt and shame and fear. So, Lord, we come to you, you alone who created us, you alone who will be there at the end and that we give an account to of our lives. We come to you and pray that you would draw us into your presence that we might know you for who you are And in that knowledge, discover who we are, who you created us to be. So Lord, we we look to you for guidance, for direction, for fulfillment. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.